to be together in in the presence of the Lord and with each other. Amen. Well, again, if you're visiting with us this morning, I our prayer is that you'll encounter the Lord here this morning. We, um, as a as a congregation, we desire to see Jesus lifted up. We believe that He is still active in the body, that He actually wants to commune with us. He wants to have a relationship with us, and so during our worship time, that's why we we just wait on Him and we just worship Him and we'll sing quietly, and just allow Him to speak. And if there's a gift. According to the Bible, First Corinthians, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. We want to wait on those and see if there's any gifts, things happening. And uh, but I hope that you encounter the Lord this morning through um, one another, through the people here that you you feel loved, that the worship is something that draws you closer to Him, and you'll be challenged and encouraged in the message as well. We would love to connect with you if you are visiting with you. There's connection cards in the front pockets, as well as uh, information out in the foyer about who we are and what we believe, our doctrinal statements, things like that. You know, I was trying to think about uh, any, any announcements. The big one is next Sunday, right after church, is the uh, annual business uh, meeting. So if you're a member here, um, we ask that you would come to that. We'll we'll have our service. We'll be talking about vision during the service and what God's been doing. We'll have lunch together right after service. Um, and then uh, and then for the business meeting, we ask the members to go ahead and stay. If you're not a member, you're welcome to stay and find out what happens in those uh, meetings and find out what's going on in this next year. You're welcome to stay, but I'm asking the members to make it a point to stay so we can take care of the official business of the church. Amen. Yesterday we had a great time, at least it was a great time for me. We had our, our next steps class, our 201 class, which was, is moving toward maturity. And I want to thank those that came out. We had a, we had a great crowd that came out and we spent five hours uh, going through um, what uh, really I found out is about a six-week course um, is usually what it takes people to get through that. We did it in five hours yesterday and cram-packed it full of uh, understanding of how to do uh, Bible devotions, how to study the Bible. We talked about resources and prayer and, and devotions and things like that, fellowship and how important it is to be connected to the body of Christ. We, it's really important that we're here together today and that you, if you're visiting with us, that you find a place where you can connect uh, to the rest of the body of Christ. Some people stay home on Sundays. I talked about this yesterday and say, I, I do church at home. The problem is that the church is actually the body of Christ. You can't do church on TV. You can get a great message from TV. There's a, some great preachers out there. You can be encouraged and challenged so you can have a great worship time. But some of the things that happen on a Sunday morning or um, in our life groups cannot be done by yourself. And that's where we challenge one another encourage one another, love one another, exhort one another, um, and feed each other donuts and things like that out in the foyer. So um, so I just encourage you uh, to, to continue to press in and get connected to the body. So, so through our, our time yesterday in our class, we learned about all of these things, and at the very end, uh, we asked people, those there, if they would wanted to fill out a commitment card. And this is what they, at the end of the class, that those who take um, our, our next steps class, uh, committed to. And it says, I commit to a daily time with God, which is personal Bible reading and prayer, a weekly tithe to God, giving the first 10% of my income, and a committed team for God, fellowship w- with believers in a life group. And then on the back, there's a scripture that says, take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit 
Bodily fitness has a limited value, but spiritual fitness is of unlimited value, for it holds promise both for this present life and the life to come. And so uh, I asked them to sign this, and then what I did yesterday is I laminated all these cards so that they can put it in their pocket, and every time they're, they're looking through, they can remember, Kathleen Rubio, that they made that commitment. And we got the Fellies. Well, I got one of the Fellies right here in front of me. And uh, Randy is right over here, Randy Dake. All right, let's go back over here. But Debbie is teaching us this morning. No, she's in the, okay. Don't you give it to her. Debbie Botteron. We'll come back for Denise. Oh, I'm breathing too hard. <laughs> All right, while I'm back here, we have, uh, we, we do have a Bethany over here. Bethany, we have a Bob and Jolene Taylor back here. These guys sat through me, you know, going on and on and on for five hours. Let's see here. So in a minute, see, we're looking for Emma's. Here's Emma's. Okay, now coming back. Rosa, estás aquí? Okay, Ro- oh, there she is. Rosa. I like talking with Rosa in, in Espanol because it's one of my few times I get to practice my Spanish, though, though I didn't do the class in Spanish. Sorry about that. Josh is back there trying to make this not go wacko. Vicky, there she is. And there's a net in the... I was in the back and I missed a net. You know, I could have done this privately, but I actually did this purposely so that everyone can see. And then finally, Denise, yours was at the back of the pile, so... That's right. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. And and I got one too. Shannon got one. All right. So give them a hand. As as a church, we have these. Uh, among other things that we do, we have four classes that we take. They're called our steps classes. The reason we call them steps is because we believe we're on a journey of maturity and a journey to get cro- closer to Christ. So we're offering these opportunities. Each one is, is a next step in your walk of faith. Um, and this one was really, the first one is membership and salvation and baptism, understanding what membership in the body is. This second one that we just did was about uh, beginning your devotional life, your prayer, your reading, and these the giving tools so that you can grow yourself. See, babies, when they're born, we feed them. But now I have a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old and a f- almost 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. I don't feed them anymore. You know, they don't come up to the table and go, and I stick my food. I don't, I don't do that. But, but sometimes, you know, we, we, we've been Christians a long time, and we, the only time we ever eat is when we come to church on Sunday, and it's like we sit down in a chair, open up our mouth, and hope that the pastor puts something good in it. And so what we're, what these classes partly are doing is helping us to learn how to feed ourselves and grow to maturity. And that's, that's the goal here is that we help everyone draw one step closer to Jesus. So our next class will be in March and then April. The next class is ministry, helping you find your ministry and understand your gifts, um, here, uh, in the body of Christ and in your life. And then the last one is helping you understand what your mission is in this world. So I encourage you. And then we're going to start over, because if you already missed 201, we're going to start back over in May and do all the classes one more time this year. So you can start with the first one, the memberships, the sec- the next steps, the uh, maturity, ministry, and then finally, mission. <sighs> okay. Amen. So don't miss out on that. Um,
I asked I asked Julie to come and and just share share uh, and receive the offering. So I put her on the spot about five minutes uh, before we started service today. And you can grab a handheld. There we go. Yeah, Pastor did put me on the spot, and I just had to stop and say, "Okay, Lord, what do you need us to hear about your faithfulness?" And so here's what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart. You know, this week was Valentine's Day, Wednesday, and and if you're savvy enough and, and you have someone you love and you wanted to show love, you know that love is not just an attitude of the heart. It might be great to just to, to feel that love within yourself, but how is that person going to receive it? You, you had to probably do something, right? There's something that you did to show love, and that's how, that's how our relationships are. And, and we can kind of throw it out there, oh yeah, love one another. But as we put this in perspective of our giving, it's, it's really heavy on my heart this morning that we love one another through the gifts that we give this church. And this coming Sunday is the business meeting. And if you want to know where every penny that is given to this church comes from, it's in that packet. I'm sure pastor, you know, could provide them. If you're not a member, if your member years was out there, you got it. But we have needs within this church, and, and this is loving one another. And we give out of our love for God and our love for the church, the body. And as I look around, the kids have gotten up, so there are a few more empty seats. But we're also busting at the seams, and we need a bigger space to invite our loved ones, our neighbors, our family, our friends. And, and that's maybe a ways down the road, but as a church with vision, and a church where we want to come and we want to bring people and God is moving and we're excited about that. These are all things that we have to think about. Now you might be sitting there thinking, I, I can't, I can't give right now. And that's, that's very real for a lot of people. It's not that you have to give everything. It's that you have to give something, just something because the attitude of your heart is changed when you can give and you know God is going to meet you in that place. And they're, that we're using, that's being used to meet the needs of not only our immediate church family, but the community. There's a lot that goes on that we probably never hear about. So if you have a chance, read that church report. It's got some good stuff in it. You know, ask the ask pastor, ask the deacons, the leaders. You know, what, what really happens with our money? It's more than the lights and the sound system and the refreshments and all the things that, you know, the children's program. There's a lot that goes into having a safe and a, a warm, inviting place for us to meet and that we can experience God's love and the love of the body of Christ together. And that happens through our giving. Join me in prayer. Loving God, we do rejoice to be here this morning. We know you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And God, we thank you for the ways that you provide. We know that every good gift comes from you. And Lord, even if we don't feel like we have enough, you are faithful and you assure us that you will continue to provide beyond what we can imagine. Lord, help us to step out in faith and obedience, to honor you for who you are, that you are holy, you are great, and you don't owe us anything. We worship you. We give you praise. We lay all of these gifts before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if, if there's somebody who, you know, there's a lot of people I talk to who says, you know, I'd love to be able to do something. I you know, I can't do much or um, I can't do any physical work. If there's somebody who ha- has 
uh, transportation somehow and a little bit of tech savvy, I need somebody who would load up the sermons each week, do some editing and load them up. And you just need to have a little bit of tech savvy to do that. Um, it takes about about an hour every week um, to kind of do a little editing and, and find some, uh, and then post it to the website so that people can hear it. So if that's you, I'd love to talk to you because it's been hard for me to get them up every week, and so now they're, they're a couple weeks behind. Anyways, turn with me to John chapter 4. All right, John chapter 4 is where we're at this morning. And, and as Robert was saying, what we find here is, is Jesus kind of went ahead of the disciples, went through an area that Jews actually tried not to walk through often, and that was a place called Samaria. Often, in order to get from the north to the south of Israel, there with the straight shot was right through a place called Samaria. But because the Jews did not get along with this other group of people called the Samaritans, they often would actually walk all the way around and go the long way, so they actually never had to encounter them. The Samaritans were a group of people, they, they, they believed in the God of the Bible, but they actually only believed in the God of the first five books of the Bible. They, they pretty much hung out on the, uh, the Pentateuch which is, you know, in the Jews, the, the Torah, the law part. And so they had some disagreements with the Jews. They had a lot of disagreements, actually. They believed that the rightful place to worship was, was right where, uh, real close to where Jesus would have encountered the Samaritan woman, the place that Joshua, right after they went into the promised land, declared what God wanted and declared blessings from one mountain and cursings from other mountain. And up on the one mountain was Mount Gerizim. And that's where the Samaritans believed they were supposed to worship God. And so, um, so the Samaritans believed that the holy place was up, up there on Mount Gerizim. And then, of course, the Jews believed that the holy place to worship was the synagogue right there in Jerusalem. And there were some other differences as well. And so they didn't get along. So we find Jesus on this particular day cruising through an area that he shouldn't have been at. And then at around the noon time, he encounters a woman. Um, in this culture, again, men didn't really have a lot of dealings with women one-on-one. And so now he's got a, a woman who is a Samaritan that he comes across. And one of the things that, that Robert pointed out was this is the midday. Women don't go out in the middle of the day to go get water. They do it in the cooler part of the day, just as if, you know, if you've ever been camping or anything, you, you kind of want to get some stuff before it gets too hot. If you ever had to go and lug water from a mile or two away from your campsite, you don't want to do it in the blazing sun. And so Jesus comes and he finds this woman. And as you read this, and I encourage you, you could spend some time this week after the, after the sermon just rereading it and looking at some of these wonderful things that happen in this conversation because we, we find Jesus bring, entering into a conversation with this woman. And there's a, a couple things we'll point out today um, as we go on about how he addresses her, um, how he, he maintains a, a good, good dialogue with her. We also see her as she begins to open up. Um, she starts saying more and more words through the conversation until she gets to answering one question where she gives him a very limited answer. So, so some great things. But we're going to start down here in, uh, in verse 7. And uh, actually, let's go ahead and, and, and go a, a little bit earlier. We'll just start right at 4 because there's something fun in, the, in, in verse 6. 
But Jesus needed to go through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And well, that's actually a little significant, and this is the Jacob and the Joseph of the Bible. And so this woman here is at the very well that Jacob and Joseph would have drawn water out of. Thank you very much, Kathleen. Thank you very much. And so he, he comes to the spot, and I, I, I mean, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd like to go to that well um, where Jacob and, and uh, Joseph got some water. And it says, a woman of Samaria, sorry, verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. We can breeze through this part real quick, and this, this isn't necessarily part of the message, but, you know, Jesus actually got tired. Jesus walked on the earth. He was God in the flesh. But he said it was, he, the Bible says that he was wearied, so he waited. Now, I don't think Jesus ever did anything without a reason, without being led and prompted by the Father. And so he knew exactly what was going to happen, I believe, or he, he knew he was supposed to be there. But he was tired, so he's waiting by the well. It's about the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Kind of like I did to Kathleen. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? The Bible, like text messages, don't show emotions. Which, which is really dangerous for us, right? You ever get a text message and you put your own emotion into it? And you go, I can't believe they said that to me. We're, we're, we're devoid of the emotion behind this right here. But one of the po- possible emotions going, going behind this woman's response is of indignation. How is it that you being a Jew are asking something of me? You guys don't like us. They, they've, they've got a war going on, and so she might be coming a little bit offensive to, to Jesus. Now, she might not be. Some have said that she was going, it was, wow, you're talking to me. Um, but he's also asking her to do something for him. So I kind of lead in that she's a little, um, she's a little pushy back, you know, saying, wait a second, what is it? How is that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You ever get that in your life? Somebody comes at you and starts questioning you. Hey, what, you're a Christian. What about this and what about this? And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want to camp out on this section right here. Notice she doesn't ask. He doesn't ask her, Who am I? He says, if you knew two things, the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. So when you go through this, well, one, what is the gift of God? You know, the gift of God, is, I believe, is, is yeah, he, he gave his son. It's, it's, it's salvation. It's Jesus himself, but it's salvation. If you knew the gift of God, which is salvation. She doesn't know salvation yet. In fact, the Messiah, they're waiting for a different type of Messiah than the Jews were. They're, they are waiting for the Messiah, but, but it's, it looks different what the Jews think. And Jesus just cuts right this, as if you knew the gift of God, if you knew salvation, 
and who it is who says to you. Now, the word new, know here, um, a, few mu- a few weeks ago we talked about different words in the Greek, and one of them was know, and it's, it's, uh, it means to know personally, but this is a different know now in the, in the Greek. So if you're writing down Greek dictionaries, this know here means to gaze upon, to marvel at, to wonder, and to understand. Those are all the, some of these things. So she, he's asking, if you gazed upon and beheld beheld, looked intently, and understood the gift of God. And I was, as I was doing the study for this, I thought, that's such a powerful thing because I could ask so many people uh, in, in the United States and say, do you know about salvation? And they go, oh yeah, I've heard about salvation. You know, as Christians talk about salvation. I could ask a lot of Christians, you know, do you know about salvation? Oh yes, you know, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a young kid and I received salvation. But this is a, a little bit deeper and it's this marveling and looking at and beholding and understanding the gift of God. Now, I, I think if I ask that question, this is in a, to, to the, even just this group here, do you understand salvation? I think some of us would go, oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know if I really understand salvation. I know that I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus to come into my life and, and, and I believe he forgave my sin, but, but I don't really know if I truly understand this and that's probably a good place to be because I don't think any of us understand salvation. Because, see, salvation is a process. The gift of God is not a one-time thing. The gift of God's salvation is an ongoing gift that he gives. The, even the wording of, uh, in the Greek says that I was saved at the time that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but it also t- points out that I'm being saved. Right now I'm in the process of being saved from my flesh, from my sins, not, not from hell, but of all these other things. And then it also implies that someday I will ultimately be saved and go to heaven. And that's just three aspects of it. That doesn't cover the whole thing of that we can actually be saved from temptations. We can be saved from sin. We can be saved from depression. We can be saved from discouragement. And that salvation is an entire holistic thing. And Jesus is asking this woman, if you understood the gift of God and the one who says to you, if you knew the gift of God and he who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so she does what what, uh, probably most of us would have done in the same situation. Wow, living water. Living water. Does that mean I don't have to come here and drink and get water anymore? I'm in. I'm in. Can you imagine, uh, we, we, you know, we, we, we live in the mountains, but we actually have gas up here and, and propane bottles and things like that. Can you imagine if you tried to heat your house and did all of your cooking on a five-gallon propane tank? Okay, I don't know about you, but what, I go through a lot of propane at my house. Uh, we live in, in Lake Williams. Unfortunately, we're still on propane. And I can't imagine getting the barbecue thing of propane and taking it down to Thomas Gas every couple of days to fill it up. That'd be a bummer. It'd be a bigger bummer if I had to walk and do it. Right? And, and if, if, if that was my plight in life is just, you know, every day going down and saying, give me a little bit of propane and then lugging it back to my house and somebody came and said to me, listen, I can give you a never-ending supply of propane. It's called natural gas. 
and we're going to hook it right up to your house, I, I, you know, I'd probably say, no, I think I'd rather just keep lugging my propane tank down there. It's a lot more fun, and, and, and I like to pay the extra money. You can probably tell I'm bitter about being on propane. And so, so this is kind of what was happening for her. She's like, wow, living water, great. I'd like some of this living water. And she misses the point, or maybe she doesn't. So I, I don't know for sure if she's missed the point or not. I've had plenty of conversations with people that were having a conversation and I throw something in about God and, and they just purposely avoid it. You know, I mean, you know, there's some people who are really good at avoiding the conversations about God and, you know, and any <laughs> conviction and stuff. I mean, they're just, they're just really good and they just go, wow, that's, that's neat. In fact, most people, if I do mention God, they go, oh, wow, that's really cool. I have an uncle who goes to church. Good for you. And so this could be, this could be her. And, and she begins to go in this conversation. But Jesus is helping her to see, listen, if you, if you really beheld the gift of God and who I am. And I, I don't know about you. I imagine it's very similar for me. When I get into the presence of Jesus, if I'm living in sin, there's something in my life that's called Conviction. And it just begins to happen. And so I'm imagining that being in the presence of Jesus Christ, that people didn't even understand what was happening inside of them. But they would get around them and, and just go, this is just weird, but I'm just, you know, I'm going to stand over here. <laughs> you know, I'm going to avoid this conversation. Because when, when you've got a sin in your life, when you're, there's something, conviction isn't always a fun thing. You know, you just you just want to go. Uh, years ago, I had a a, a friend, uh, an older friend who we'd known, a family friend we'd known for years and years and years. And I pulled up into the Bank of America parking lot. Tells you how old that was um, in the village. And got out of my car and I started walking across the parking lot. And there was uh, this guy, Randy, and I hadn't seen him for a, a few weeks or a month or so. And out of nowhere, he goes, "So what? I have a beer in the bag." That was how he greeted me. So what? I have a beer in my bag. And I'm like, good to see you too. I mean, it was really funny. It, I, wasn't a, I, was, I was just a kid. I was like 20 years old at the time. I mean, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, no, the pastor's here. The fun's over. You know, it was, it was just, you know, conviction. Conviction, the, the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, I don't know. And, and he had that response. Has ever happened to you? You ever have these people in your life that they're just like, yeah, you know, so, you know, they immediately get defensive because we carry around with us the presence of God. Um, and so she's having a conversation with God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and he says, if you would behold the gift, if you understood the gift, if you would behold me and understand me, you would ask for me and I'd give you living water. That would be wonderful. So the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So, so first, before she's like, I want some of this living water, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank for himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? There's that. You've just now confronted her, and, and you've offended her. Right? This is kind of, she's now on the defensive Wait a second, are you greater than Jacob? And he says, Jesus replies, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Now, this is why I think she's kind of avoiding the real issue. Because this seems pretty clear. Whoever drinks of this will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And she goes immediately back to him, Sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Now, again, there's, there's no emotion connected to this. We don't know her heart. But why was she there at noon? The, the reason we believe, scholars believe, I agree, is because she was an outcast. We're going to find that out in just a minute. This woman... In the conversation with Jesus, we come to find out that she's been married five times and she's shacking up right now. That's the Greek version. <laughs> she's, you know, she's living with a guy. And, and I tell you, it's probably more like what it would have been like in the 40s or the 50s in this country. You know, leave it to Beaver. You don't live with somebody who's not your spouse. And so she's living in a community where that's not a common thing. It caused you to be an outcast. And the fact that she has had five spouses says something. Either she's got really bad luck and all of her husbands have died, or, or I, mean, what, I mean, five marriages is quite a few. So she doesn't go in the morning with them because they don't really want her there. And she feels bad about her situation. And so she comes out to do the work when nobody else is there by herself. Sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst so I don't have to come here anymore. Reminds me of maybe a, a man or a woman, a couple who wanted to have children. And they don't like to go to the park. They don't like to go to Disneyland. They don't like to go to any place that they see other parents with children because it reminds them that they don't have any. When you have a, a loss, if you're, go, if you're grieving, and there's a lot of people grieving, or, uh, even just in our congregation, grieving losses of husbands and wives, and, and I just ask you to even be praying for uh, Joe Stangle, one of our elders. Um, his mom is, is dying right now. She's in hospice. He's out in Arizona. And if we know Joe, we know that he lost his son a year and a half, uh, a little over two years ago, his wife last year, and now he's losing his mom right now. And so the grief is real, it's heavy, it's hard. And so I think that it's very possible that this woman says, can you give me some water so I don't have to come here and be reminded that I don't belong that I don't have what other people have. I've had five husbands. I've got a, a guy I'm living with. It doesn't talk about her kids. And she very likely is not happy with her life. You know, most people who uh, are, are living in a life that we might, we might consider you know, broken and sad and maybe multiple marriages or they're, she's, uh, they're, they're on drugs or, or alcohol or whatever else. And, and we think, well, goodness, why don't you just get out of that lifestyle? Why don't you get help? And, and sometimes they even seem like they like what they're doing. Most of the people who, who that's their life, they don't like their life. They just don't know how to get out. 
They don't know how to get out. And so this woman, this could be her plight as well. This, this could be you. You might have some things in your life that, that you have, uh, that you do that are just plaguing you and you are just saying, I don't even know how to stop. I don't know how to get out. Well, this morning, just as the woman at the well, Christ has kind of come to you and ask if you want living water, not just for initial salvation, but to be saved ongoing and receive the gift of God. And so this woman says, Sir, give me some of this water so I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. This is where... Uh, it separates most people. Uh, Jesus separates himself from most people because most people, even if they know the situation, want to be more polite. And they don't want to talk about the situation that's causing a problem in the life. Isn't that right? You know, it's like, you know, I know, I know that you know that I know what's going on. And so I'm not going to say anything. But Jesus goes right for it. And he's not surprised at the answer. You know, why don't you go call your husband? Sir, I don't have a husband. It's good. She's honest. And Jesus then goes for the next blow. You're right. You've had five, and the man that you're with is not your husband. Now, uh, when we do this, uh, this next steps class, we take a personality test, and my personality type is called Golden Retriever. Okay, I'm a golden retriever. Very sensitive. We don't like to hurt people. We're just faithful and loyal. That is not my style, though I'm learning that it's an okay style to be, is confrontational and bringing things up that will bring healing. So that would have never been me in the past. I would have never said, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you've had five husbands and you're shacking up. I would have never done that. But Jesus does it. Why? Because... He needs to address the issue. He needs to address the real issue. People who, who need to get help from alcohol or drugs, they need to address the real issue. And, and, and AA and NA and any other group is going to tell you that you, you can have somebody who's been in, alcohol, in addiction therapy at all for any time can have somebody come up and within the first 60 seconds they'll tell you that they're not ready or that they are ready to quit. Because there's something about that. And so he goes for it and says, let's find out if you're really serious about receiving forgiveness here. In your prayer life, in your time with God, do you beat around the bush? We go to God in prayer and we fake it sometimes. We know what's going on and we don't really want to address that with God, so we, we put on our best behavior in front of Him during our prayer time and we kind of skirt around the issues. You know, I want to encourage us that, that God knows, so let's be real with Him. Just, just be real with Him. And uh, He's pressing us to do that. He's pressing us to be real. You've well said, I have no husband. Jesus said, for you have had five, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. 
In that, you spoke truly. I picture this, this thing happening. That now he's beginning to chop away at some facades. And some pretenses that she had. Even as at the end of his conversation there, he says, In that, you spoke truly. I, I reread that a few times when I read that and went, she never lied. This isn't a story that she's lying to him at the beginning and then finally she tells the truth. When you tell someone in that you spoke truly, it's usually because they've been lying to you. They've been deceiving you. Well, she was. She was skirting the issues. She was talking about this. She was pretending that she was something that she wasn't. And I believe that the words of God that came out of Jesus' mouth right there, you spoke truly, just kind of hit her. And I, and I can almost see every, so much of the defense is just going down. Church, it needs to happen in our lives. We need to be confronted with God until our defenses come down so he can actually have a real conversation with us. And he can help us to, to find the gift of God that he has for us. Now, I believe that they begin to come down, but just as quick as, as any of us in this room would be really good at doing probably also, they come right back up. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Don't look behind the curtain. Watch over here. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So, so she's beginning to get confronted. I believe her, her thing's coming down. And just as quick, she puts it back up and she starts talking about Uncle Louis goes to church. I'm going to talk about anything but myself right now. What do you think? Jesus then, in this great communication style with her, addresses it. But so does so much more. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. What? You're saying that you're not right and I'm not right? I don't understand this. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now I'm going to take a little parenthesis. There's so many great parentheses in this. Jesus never skirts around the fact that he is God, that he has the truth. He never apologizes for his faith. I think, I think we in this culture that we live in uh, feel like we need to apologize for our beliefs and our faith when they begin to get pressured. And we, and we shouldn't do that. He doesn't back off and, and say, well, 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 he just says, I mean, he, he actually says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. In other words, you're wrong. We're right. But let me tell you the rest of the story. Salvation is of the Jews. It came down for the, the King David, and that was, like I said, with the Samaritans, they didn't go to King David. They had the Pentateuch, so David was not part of their belief system in that way. 
They didn't look to David to be the Messiah for him to come out of the, the line of, of David. And so Jesus continued, goes, The hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. As the Lord confronts her, he confronts us with a very similar thing. The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. What what does that mean? Well, I think one of the things that that means is, is that it needs to be real. It needs to be real from from our heart and our mind. It doesn't need to be uh, just a form of worship that we do. We go to Sunday morning and, and uh, we sing songs because everyone else is singing. It needs to be, uh, it needs to be real. And I think uh, worship, I believe he's actually saying too that it, it needs to be in spirit. That's, you know, when you say, well, he's got a lively spirit. It's talking about his desires, his emotions, his everything is going along. It's real and it's, it's, Wow, it's in spirit. It's not a spiritual thing as much as a lively spirit. God is working for those who truly worship him, not begrudgingly, but in joy and life and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. You know, the Lord, he comes just like he does to the woman at Samaritan, the woman of Samaria, and he confronts us. And my prayer is that he confronts you as much as he confronts me. He comes and he comes and he wants to bring truth. And he wants to bring life and he wants to bring the gift of God. See, he doesn't want to bring the downer. He wants to pick you up. And what we see that that's exactly what, she, what happens because through this, even though he's confronting her sin, he's confronting her, her wrong belief system, he's confronting so much about her, in just a minute we find that she runs into town and gets everyone around and says, come and find the person who told me everything there was to know about me and he's a prophet and he's the Messiah. And, and she brings them back and, and we find that Jesus then spends a couple more days preaching the gospel and many, many people get saved in Samaria. He comes to you, he comes to me, not to press us down, but to lift us up and to give us the gift of God. But in order to experience that, in order to have the life that God wants to give, we have to be real with him. We have to get to that point where, where we finally go, okay, I know you're putting your hand, your finger, right on my sin, right on my attitude, right on my whatever it is that he's putting it on in your life, and deal with it. And stop pretending it doesn't exist. Just he knows it already. He knows it. He knows your disbelief. In our life group, the other day we were talking about heaven. And 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 I asked the question, I said, What do you think of when you think of heaven? And people went around and said, there were some great answers and and, and uh, I said, what, you know, when you think of heaven, actually the question is, when you think of heaven, and they just left it open. So they, they shared. And I, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, when I think of heaven, I get scared sometimes. And that's weird. The pastor gets scared of heaven. Yeah, because I can't imagine eternity. I just can't. Sometimes I think of heaven, and I'm like, well, that's a long, long time. What am I going to do there? I mean, I, don't, I might be the only one, but I'm like, you know, it kind of freaks me out going to heaven forever and ever and ever. 
And, and some of you are going, well, man, let's switch churches. The pastor doesn't want to go to heaven. That, I, it's not that I don't want to go to heaven. It's that my lack of fully understanding it sometimes causes me to go, oh, wow, I can't fathom what it's going to be like. I just, I, just, I just can't. Now, you know, we, we, we have uh, Disneyland passes, and, um, and I like Disneyland. I like to go with the kids, but I can't imagine living there. I just, just can't imagine it. So I was being real with, with my, my life group. I just kind of, and I think I shocked them a little bit, just like I may have shocked you this morning. See, God already knows that about me, so I was just telling the life group the same thing. See, God knows all those things, so, so you know, it's, it's a little hard to do it with your life group, sure, but let's start with God at least. He already knows, you know. Don't, don't pray the prayer, oh God, I want to serve you with everything. And really what you're saying is, there's a whole bunch of things I don't want to quit doing yet. <laughs> Just talk to him and be real. And as he puts his finger on things, he's going to draw those out. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the relationship. That's the confrontation he wants to have and he's having with us. He says, you know, it's not about worshiping in a temple. It's not about here, because at some point you're just doing what, you know, that because you're doing something different than what we're doing. We need to be truthful. In the, in the word that's a kind of a, a new buzzword right now in, in our culture is authentic. You know, it's a good word, but it's become kind of a fad word. You know, we're going to live authentically, and, and which we should. But don't get lost in that part. Can we really be authentic with God? Can we, can we be like the, the woman who's about to receive the gift of God and healing? In verse 25, she goes, I know the Messiah is coming. Who is called Christ? When he comes, he will tell us all things. Pushing back again. Don't, don't talk to him about this. And Jesus just says to her, I who speak to you am he. This morning, I think the Lord wants to speak just as he did here to all of us. And he wants to tell you, you've been looking for life and happiness and joy and peace in some places that you shouldn't be. You expect to find it going to church. You expect to find it in your money. You expect to find it in your friends. We have a lot of places we expect to find it. In our relationships, in our boyfriends, in our girlfriends, in our children. And he says, I am he where you will find those things. You're going to find it in me. Messiah is coming. My better job is coming. My happiness is coming. No. Jesus says to us, that is me. And if you look to me, those things will be fulfilled. Not that you can't have those other things, but we get our joy, we get the gift of God from Jesus. Heavenly Father, each of us in this room this morning are at a different place in our relationship with you, in our journey. God, I just pray that we would allow you to have this conversation with us that you had with the woman at the well. God, that 
that you could put your finger on some areas in our life. We're looking for salvation, maybe in the wrong areas. We're looking to hold things back from you, God. I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us to be, a, to be real, authentic with you so that we might, just as the Samaritan woman here finds joy in life in you, that same thing would happen in us. We wouldn't hold these things back from you anymore, but we would give them to you and, and find the gift of God, that we would behold Jesus Christ and understand the salvation and the love that is in Christ. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who, who's never taken that first step, I pray that they would do that today. That they would say, I, I just know that there is a God. There is a, there's a Christ who's calling me to himself, and I want to commit my life to him now. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life and make me a new creature, a new creation, a new person. Let the old life, the old things I had in my life go away and bring all the newness that comes in salvation to me. And we all pray that you would help us all to begin to behold and understand this great salvation that you've given to us, that you've offered to us. pray that you'd walk with us each day this week. I pray for that strength to fulfill our commitments for those of us who've committed to daily devotions with you that are committing our life to you. Strengthen us. We can't do this life without you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.